Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. Now, before Pastor Matt comes up to preach, I will read today's scripture text, which today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. Please feel free to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Once again, Mark 14, 53 through 72. Hear the word of God. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Peace be with you. Uh, Let's... uh, begin our time here in just a word of prayer. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the, the, the men, women, the children, uh, those that are serving and um, those who are visiting. Thank you for making all of this possible, for giving us a space to gather together as a group, to sing songs, to read your word, to, to think and to pray. And so I ask for open minds and open hearts and help me to speak clearly and, and in a way that um, encourages and, and offers hope. Uh, We love you, and and we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Probably like all of you, I I like all things. I love all things authentic. Um, I love, like, authentic Italian. Yeah, authentic Mexican. Um, 
Pastor Brandon and his wife, uh, Caitlin, took us to a, 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 a dinner uh, a couple nights ago to a restaurant in, in, in downtown Dayton. I, could, I didn't know what anything was on the menu, and that's a sign that it was authentic, <laughs> and um, it was really good. Um, I like authentic camping, uh, meaning... I, I like to uh, get uncomfortable and lug my gear around. I'm, I'm, I'm not for glamping, as they, they call it nowadays. Um, I don't own much leather, but if I did, I think I would want it to be authentic. Um, when I was shopping for a wedding ring, I, I didn't know much about diamonds, and so I had to study up on that. And so what I got is small, but it's authentic. <laughs> so you can go check that out. Um, we love authenticity. It is the spirit of the age. You know that, right? You probably know that. Uh, in 2021, the Times of London claimed, quote, that there is no consumer trend that better defines this decade than the demand for authenticity. It makes sense, right? Who wants to be labeled a poser? Do you remember that? For those of you my age or older, that was our, our 90s term, for fake and counterfeit, right? It's, when, it's why when uh, Nirvana came out and played Unplugged on MTV, we were slack-jawed and amazed and we all bought T-shirts because that was real art, <laughs> unplugged. <laughs> Unpolished, unproduced means we're getting the unfiltered truth, doesn't it? And we're just tired of being lied to. It's, it's also why we like our relationships and our institutions to be authentic, don't we? Ask um, people what politician they're rooting for, and they'll talk to you at some point about them being authentic. Ask church shoppers what kind of church they're looking for, and a place that is authentic is bound to be in the criteria, probably second to something like uh, preaching the word of God or speaking about Jesus. E-harmony, for you singles, hopefully just you singles, um, E-harmony lists eight tips for dating in the modern age. Tip number two, I went and looked this up, yes. Uh, tip number two says, quote, the most important rule is to be upfront and honest about who you are and what you're looking for. And of course, they encourage you to put an authentic profile picture up, right? Don't lie about what you look like. Be authentic. Authenticity sounds great, and you won't hear me criticizing it. I'm all in. I'm all for it. My problem is, what I've been trying to sort out, is I'm not certain that we can will our most authentic selves as much as we think we can. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if we can conjure it up, manufacture it as much as we think when people talk about, you just do you. You be real. Just be yourself. What self is that, right? And do you know the real self? Experts like Brene Brown write that we can cultivate it by the practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be by embracing who we really are. Well, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And I love Brene Brown. But what if you don't have a totally clear grasp on who you actually are. You know, you've been listening to people label you and categorize you for so long that at certain points in your life you start to wonder, well, actually, who am I? How do I get rid of all of these labels and expectations that people have put on me? 
What exactly is my self-definition? Seems to me the most, seems to me the moment you start analyzing your own authenticity, you're now kind of perverting the whole process, right? Like if you start thinking about it too much, then are you actually being authentic, you know? I mean, let's be real with ourselves. When we see like a picture online, for instance, like a disheveled selfie uh, with, you know, sweatpants and a, a messy apartment or a, or a messy house with the hashtag just being real. We wonder, well, are you being real though? Is that actually real? Or is that just like a curated real? Like kind of a curated authenticity? I mean, the last I checked, for myself at least, keeping it real for me <laughs> was walking the neighborhood last week um, because I was so angry at one of my family members. I won't mention who. But I was so angry at one of my family members. I was probably a danger to society and I needed just some cold air and some space to think it over. That, to me, is keeping it real. And it's not really postable. You know what I mean? It's not something I really particularly want to share and broadcast to the world. Uh, Even though I just did just now, but, um, you know, it's just, it's real because it happened to me. It's not something I forced out. It just kind of came out. That's what it means to be human. That's what it means to be flawed, of course. And furthermore, I'm not certain that while we say we really crave authenticity, I'm not certain that we know what to do with it when it really shows up. You know what I mean? Do we really, really want it in each other? Do we really want authenticity? Studies actually show, and I found this strange, that a blunt sharing of your weaknesses in a job interview actually don't increase your chances as much as you think that they do. You're welcome, for those of you looking for a job. Unless, of course, you have just a killer resume that shows that you're very competent and capable in all of the areas that they're looking for. But apart from that, it doesn't increase your chances that much. Oh, and by the way, sadly, this is interesting, according to social psychologists, when leaders make self-deprecating jokes and get real, people judge them as more capable if they're men and less capable if they're women. Oh, we're all capable here, culpable here, I mean. Men and women both do this, you know. We're just not good at handling authenticity as fairly and graciously as we would like. There's an app called uh, Be Real, I think. Does any of you guys have Be Real? It's a French-produced photo um, app. came out in 2020. It took off on college campuses immediately, as soon as it released. It prompts users to uh, take a picture with their front and uh, rear cameras. It prompts them at different times of the day. Um, it was uh, billed and it was uh, promoted as, for users as a, as a way, as a kind of an alternative to social media. The initial thought was something like, enough of the curated portraits peddled as the good life. Everyone now wants authenticity. The app just soared in downloads and usage for a little bit. And then everybody got tired of the authenticity. <laughs> and it became boring. The monotony wasn't as exciting as people thought it would be. 
and now it's plummeting in usage. Again, if authenticity is the answer we seek, how do we define it? How do we find it, I mean, authentically at least? And are we going to be able to handle it when it is in our lives and in our relationships? The reason why I'm talking about authenticity is that when you read Mark 14, it's tragic and it's got like terrible, tragic, dark irony, if you will, in the scene. It's full of lies, rage, and cowardice. But it's humans at their most authentic selves. That's why it's so instructive to you. What the high priest is doing, what the other Bible scholars are doing, what Peter is doing. It's sad, yes, but it's authentic. It's real. Everyone in the scene is having kind of this visceral response to Jesus in the scene. And the responses are sad, but they're very real, they're very human, and that is the point at which Mark is making. Now look, look, picture this. Jesus has spent three years offering up a healthy platter of healing people. He's been talking about the kingdom. He's been trying to share with people around him what God's plan of mercy has been from the beginning and how he's come to, to bring it about. He's going to save people from their sins and give them new hearts and new desires. And this Jesus has been eating and drinking with sinners and offering them forgiveness and second chances. He's been doing all of this. And now he's just been betrayed by one of his friends, Judas. And now he's been drugged in front of the religious elites of the day, um, the Sanhedrin. And he's been drugged there, not really to defend himself. They're actually trying to drum up charges so they can hand him over to Rome and say enough of him and kill him. And so the whole thing is kind of a, a sham, if you will. And the re false report is this, right? They're trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. And the false report in verse 58 is this. We heard him say that I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And, and to be fair, Jesus said things close to this. If you go look at John chapter 2, verse 19, there it reports Jesus saying, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. In other words, Jesus never had any violent intentions. He never had a violent revolution in his mind. Not, not at all. He, he was simply saying, well, you can kill me. You will kill me. But I'll come back. <laughs> I'll be back. Don't you worry. The problem here is, of course, the, and you might be already have made this connection. No, no, nobody in the scene and nobody around Jesus at that time was making the connection that, that God, the Father, the one they were all trying to worship, he was making his son the new temple. That, that he was making Jesus the new place where we would meet with God. He was making Jesus the place, the new place where forgiveness happens, um, the new place where prayers happen. It's why you pray in Jesus' name, right? When you end your prayer in Jesus' name. Because he's becoming, he became the new temple. So Jesus' crucifixion was going to be a demolition of the temple and then his resurrection was going to be a rebuild. And that's what Jesus, of course, was saying. 
But interestingly, Jesus doesn't even bother defending himself. He just remains silent and, until the high priest asks him bluntly about his real identity. That's verse 61. He just says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus makes no veiled claims this time. He, he finally comes out very clearly in a way um, that makes them explode. This, this statement is explosive. It's more explosive than anything he said up to this point in his entire ministry. In, in verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. I am. And, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, to you, you may have to use your footnotes or something like that, and that's great. They didn't need to do that. They knew what that meant. And that's a reference to Daniel chapter 7. And the prophecy there, if you go read Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 in particular, you go read that and you'll see what Jesus was getting at. And it's the prophecy of someone coming to earth to rule and to have authority and to judge the world. And that includes them, the authority of God. And Jesus in this scene is saying, yeah, that's me. I'm that guy. I am God in the flesh. I'm the one who will come back to judge the world, and that includes you. And this is so explosive, so audacious. This is so threatening in a way that they can't stand it, and they lose their minds. The high priest is ripping his cloak. He's ripping his robe. He's, he's expressing his anguish and his disgust with Jesus, and they begin to spit and hit him, demanding his execution. It's wrong, but it makes sense. If you're in that mindset, you know, people play around with Jesus casually and it doesn't really make sense. The claims of Jesus are too big. But back to the point I'm trying to make here. If you notice when you read it, Mark's version of it particularly, Mark has set this up as two trials happening at the same time. Did you catch it? Two trials. Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin and Peter's down in the courtyard. They're both happening at the same time. One inside the palace with the religious people and one outside the palace with Peter, the disciple. The high priest is overwhelmed with hate and Peter is overwhelmed with fear. Jesus, of course, is the common denominator. And the point I'm trying to make here is that Jesus has this way he does this. He does this with his words, his presence, his commands. They, they have a way of exposing you. You know, they, when you get close to him, it just kind of comes out. It, he draws you out. And, and this is the idea that I think might, might be worth sticking with you. And, and, and it's this, that proximity equals authenticity. That the proximity to Jesus, getting close to Jesus, means the real parts of you are, are going to start to come out. Peter might be following at a distance, right, like many of us do at times in our life, but he's still trying to follow. The religious elites want nothing to do with Jesus, but, but they know that they have to deal with him. His claims are too big. Now, I, I'm not praising any of their responses. I'm, I, I'm simply trying to explore what inevitably will happen, that human hearts and human motivations always begin to surface when you actually begin to deal with Jesus. Like really deal with him. And here's the thing. When you do, it's not always pretty. Why? 
because it's authentic. And who says that your most authentic self, when it comes out, is going to be lovely? Who says that? Maybe sometimes, but a lot of times, it's not. Sometimes it's not always charming. What if true authenticity isn't really something you strive for as much as it's just something that comes out of you? And you're not, and you're authentically sinful to the bottom, and, and that's what Jesus exposes in us when we get close to him. It's not that you're not capable of goodness. Don't hear me say that. I, I, sometimes your most authentic self shows up in a very vulnerable way, and it's good. But very often it's not. Very often it's, it's a mixed bag, a mixed bag of motivations. If you want to see the realest parts of who you are with more accuracy than the Myers-Briggs or the, the Enneagram or any other personality profile that you can, stay, you can take, start dealing with Jesus' claims. You know, like read the way in which Jesus interacts with people. Read about the, the way Jesus talks about money. Read about the way Jesus talks about the way you work. Read about the way Jesus talks about the way you're supposed to treat your enemies. Read those things and start to deal with them honestly. And you will see a verifiably authentic self in you come out. Things like fear. Things like rage. (laughs) Things like frustration and sadness. He's an explosive person. And not everything he says is easy. Think of it this way. Try to make this very, very practical for us this morning. I know all sorts of people that that duck out at some point on the church. And that's happening a lot these days. Or, Or they duck out on the scriptures. They get tired of reading it or they get tired of hearing about it. They duck out on prayer. They duck out on Christian community. And a lot of times, you know, it's very deliberate. It's not like lazy. It's, it's actually quite deliberate. It, it, what they're looking for is, or what they're thinking, is I want to live free. I, I want to live with a kind of autonomy. I want to be able to define for myself what's the good life. I'm, I'm tired of this, and I don't want people to tell me how to live. And I think in some ways what they're looking for is the authentic life, you know? So they abandon all of this church dogma, church doctrine, and all the stuff that you guys are doing right here, right now. They avoid it all. They try to construct a life that they can be proud of that will have peace and joy in it. But meanwhile, while they do that, they become an unwitting participant of a very dogmatic performance driven religion that the world then disciples them in. A religion in the name of freedom that says get your pluralism right. Get your stance on sexuality right. Get your parenting right. Get your exercise and nutrition right. Get your pronouns right. Get your politics right. Get it all right. Get your, get your stance on gun control right. Get a lot of things right. Or you won't be performing as you should. It feels very weighty when you start to think about it. 
And in my personal experience, the world's religion demands an altar call every day from me because I never measure up. I seem to get it wrong somewhere according to the world's standards. People think that the world is not religious. That's crazy. Are you paying attention? It's incredibly religious. It demands that you perform and perform very well. Now, if you're a church-going, conservative, Christian, hoorahing this part of the sermon that I just said, beware. Make sure you have an accurate read on yourself. Because I've witnessed plenty of us church-going, self-proclaiming, Christian conservatives who strangely use God's stuff, weirdly enough, to avoid God altogether. In other words... I've watched plenty of church-going folks that find it actually easier to be busy serving in the background or in the foreground. They find it easier policing church communications. Uh, They find it easier focusing on our collective evangelism numbers than they do their own personality flaws and heart issues because those are much more difficult. Let's just escape into this world of thinking about all the stuff that we're going to do and how we're going to reach people and we're just going to talk about how we're pitching the next church event. And we consume ourselves with that. Meanwhile, we're still full of pride and judgmentalism. People like this focus on attendance, liturgy, tithing, talking about the newest event or newest program or campaign at the church. And it takes place of any real conversation real confession, real presence. You know, the kind of stuff that just gets awkward when it shows up in a small group (laughs) or in a relationship. Whether you think your particular brand of religion leans liberal or conservative or whether you sit here this morning and you think, well, it doesn't sit tidy in either one of those categories, that's fine. The solution is the same, I think, and we probably all know that. We... Each of us, no matter where you land on these issues, we, we each need a proximity to the explosive claims of Jesus. We each need to get close to his saving work and to the way he actually deals with us. But, as I've been saying, we all need to be careful. If we begin to follow and deal with Jesus and his authority and lordship, even if it's fearfully with one foot in and one foot out, as many of us are, and some of you in this room this morning are probably in that kind of a place, the way Peter was, just following at a distance. Here's the thing, wherever you're at, beware if you start to even sheepishly begin to follow Jesus, don't be surprised when your authentic self begins to surface. It will happen eventually, if not initially. It will. And you'll experience it as ugly sometimes, kind of embarrassing sometimes. I'll remind you again that the religious elites in this scene, they're very devout. They're more devout than me or you. And yet, they're deeply stubborn and closed off to criticism. They can't handle being wrong. And the fledgling new believer, his name's Peter, he is a deep lover. He loves. He does. But he is very flawed when he's put under pressure. As as the scene kind of showed you. And this happened because these are human ailments that are embedded 
in all of us, deep in all of us. And we're unaware of them until we get close. You know, you, you, you think you're aware of all of your weaknesses, but are you? The thing about when you get close to Jesus, the stuff begins to surface and you find out there are parts of you that you've been kind of avoiding or not paying attention to for years. And here's something I've been wondering about for some time and I'm using this morning to process it out loud. So thank you for letting me do that. Why is it that when you reach that point in your life where you're fed up or exhausted with yourself, maybe some addiction or behavior or relationship that you're in, some kind of a weird or difficult dynamic with a family member or a kid or something like that, and you're just fed up, you're, you're at that point, that crystallization of discontent, that, that place where you think to yourself, enough is enough, I'm ready to do something about this. And so you start, you start thinking in your head, you know what, I'm ready to put in the work. I, I, I'm ready to... to to ask the hard questions. I'm, I'm ready to put some hard thinking into this. I'm, I'm, I'm conjuring up all the motivation I have. I'm, I'm going to start really praying about this. You know, I'm going to get on my knees. I haven't been on my knees in a long time. And I'm going to really pray to the Lord and ask for help because I'm tired of this. Enough is enough. Something's got to change. And when you reach that spot that you've probably all been in at least once or twice in your life, why is it that soon after you do that, it's almost like things get worse? <laughs> anybody? Is anybody happened to? Is that happened to anybody else other than just me? You know, I've been in those spots where I'm praying and desperate for change, and after I pray. I've got this feeling. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a good feeling. I, it's just a, a real feeling. It's like this kind of feeling of like, oh, I, I think I just really prayed, you know? Like, I, I really was like putting myself out there, Lord, and something's good, something good is going to happen now, you know? He's going to move mountains for me. And then it's just the same old crud, but maybe a little bit worse, you know? This literally just happened to me like a couple weeks ago. Just poured myself out over an issue between me and one of my children. My kid was ex is exceedingly worse that day. That day <laughs> that I prayed about this, you know? And I saw all sorts of things in myself that are not pretty. And I feel like what my takeaway was, the Lord was like, I know you're worried about her. Well, we got some issues with you we need to deal with. You know, because this is what happens. We pray and we offer up our, our exhaustion to the Lord and we want it to go up and to the right and it just goes down, down, down. I think that this is just how it is with Jesus sometimes. When you're finally ready to deal with him, to see him move and transform you and in your life and get down and pray and all of that and it just gets more difficult. But what if, what if this is precisely his activity in your life? I really want this to be an encouragement to you because I know so many of you, and I'm trying to guess about others of you, but I just think that this is where so many of us are is that we want to see something happen and it's going terribly wrong, 
But what I want to encourage you in is to not give up this morning because I think that maybe you should consider that this is precisely Jesus' activity in your life. That he actually, he doesn't want you to go through pain for the sake of it. He wants you to enter into the pain so that you begin to see things clearly, so that you begin to see yourself authentically. And that the pretenses begin to drop. You know what I mean? What if that is precisely the way God works in your life? That he doesn't want us to see ourselves always on the sunny side, but that there's hope on the other side of that. And if, and what, if there's something like this could really change your life, because what if the realness in meaning him means that realness, real ugliness is coming out? I mean, remember that it's Jesus that said, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. And who told us that losing it was going to be painless? <laughs> it's going to be painful. And I just think that some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There may be only a few of you here this morning feeling this way, but you're in here today under no pretense. You ha you're in here under no need to perform. No one coaxed you into coming here. You came here simply because you're fed up with how your life has gone or the way it's currently going right now. Um, you're not actually proud. You're not. Uh, you're actually probably here this morning and you're de dealing with some kind of like this underlying sense of shame or exhaustion of how things have been turning out in your life. And I just want you to be encouraged that if that's where you're at and you're here this morning this, in that way, I want to encourage you that you're not here dealing with those feelings because you manufactured them. You're here dealing with those feelings probably because Jesus is close to you right now. And he's moving in you. And he's drawing you out. And I would just say, lean in. Let it out. Keep asking questions and keep praying. And if you resonate at all with what I'm saying here, I want you to catch the beauty of this scene and this, this trial scene. Notice that Jesus doesn't lecture or even command in the scene. What, what was the prescription that you read? There wasn't one. He, he simply absorbs and exchanges. And that's What's critical here? Look at verse 64, because it tells you almost everything you need to see. It says, and they all condemned him as deserving death. Now that's a short order description of how salvation works. That's a description of salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. His injustice, all the unfairness that's happening to him, his injustice is your justification. His sacrifice brings you peace. Um, Paul worked this out much later. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the exchange happening there. He took the blame for our most ugly, authentic selves so that we might take the credit for his authentic beauty and innocence. And I see no other way to really see how good the gospel is. <coughs> Jesus isn't saving 
the counterfeit version of you. He's saving the real authentic version of you. And the real authentic version of you is a bit ugly sometimes, if we're honest. So keep confessing the real parts of yourself. Keep pressing into the reading, to the prayers, to the questions, to the community, to the serving. Because when the real ugly parts surface, you know, don't deny them. Don't defend them. Let them have their full effect on you. When I became a pastor, shortly after that, I just gave up on myself in terms of taking care of my body because this was way too much responsibility. And after a number of years, I finally realized, I think I need to go to the dentist. This is totally embarrassing. But I went years, years. And this is not the only thing I ignored. And so finally, I, I worked up the courage to, to go in there. And I'm sitting down. I'm like, this is not going to be pretty. You know? And I sat down with them. And they're like, hey, um, so do you floss? <laughs> and because that's what they ask you. You know, they ask you questions like that. What do you guys, do you guys usually lie about it? <laughs> well, let me t give you a tip right now. So I didn't. I dropped the pretense, and I was like, oh, no, 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 I've, I've been too busy for that. <laughs> and she laughed. She chuckled. And I said, why are you laughing? And she was like, well, I appreciate your honesty. And I said, well, do, do you think people lie most of the time? And she was like, oh, they always lie. <laughs> and she's like, and I, she's like, and I find that so weird. She's like, it's not like we don't know. There's all sorts of bleeding and inflammation. And we're all just like, sure, you floss, you know? And then they gave me my treatment plan, which was lengthy. And it got terribly bad. It was very difficult. And I was like, let's go. Let's just take care of all of it. And it was very painful. <laughs> and, 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 and it took a while. But I got through it. And now, you know, I got no cavities now because I took care of my business. I need you to, it's a silly, silly example, but I need you to think about it, your Christian life in this way, that if we want to actually see transformation in our lives, it might get uglier initially. Hang on, <laughs> push through it. Keep asking the questions, keep showing up. Keep letting the sin that is being exposed in you. It's not, that, it's not that when we go to Jesus, we get more sinful. It's just that when we go to Jesus, we see more of our sin. That's the way it's supposed to work. But I promise you, if you keep pushing through with Jesus, you will change gradually. You will sense an inner coherence that is authentic, that's more real than anything you could ever manufacture in your life. It's called joy. It's called peace. It's called rest. So when you come to the table this morning, what that means is that a lot of you are coming with a lot of uncertainties, a, 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 a lot of uncertainties about your motivations. Am I, am I coming in the right way to the table to take the Lord's Supper? Am, am, I, am I saying the right prayers? Am I, 
Have I really confessed all of my sin? You know, some of you are gonna take a minute before you come to the table and you're gonna be very aware, acutely aware of the sins that probably need to be confessed before the Lord. And, and I would encourage you to confess them. But then there's some of you sitting here and you're like, well, I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure I was sinful, but I don't really know exactly what to bring out and to, to say in prayer. Then I would just say, say that. Say precisely that. Say, Lord, I don't really know what to confess? I, 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 I don't really know where I've gone wrong. Search me, you know? Examine my heart. You know, there's this, there's this line in Jeremiah uh, chapter 17 where it talks about how the heart, and many of you are familiar with it. The heart is, 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 des is deceitful above all things. It's, it's desperately sick. And who can understand it? But then it says that the Lord tests the mind, examines the heart. Like he sees it. He knows what's going on. And so bring your uncertainties, your confusions to him in prayer and let him expose those things. That is the way that we always deal with Jesus authentically and our most authentic selves begin to come out. My hope is, is that this church, um, as much as it would be great that we were a community where we didn't have a lot of messiness, that's not gonna be reality. The reality will be that if we're really truly going to deal with Jesus and deal with his saving work, then we're going to all come to terms with our own messiness. And I would encourage you to push through that and to keep being honest about that. And little by little, we all will change. And we will be a place that is a little less judgmental than what history shows. And so this bread, if you're not familiar with it, represents Christ's body that is broken for you. And this cup of wine represents Christ's blood that is shed for you. And what we're doing is we're remembering the exchange that took place. That he didn't deserve death, but he took death on. He took on the blame. He took on the sin so that you might get his righteousness. And so if Jesus is Lord to you in your imperfections and in your ugliness and all of those things... If that is real to you, as real as, as you can think and imagine it, it is, you're invited to come forward to this station or to this station and take part. And if you're here and you're still on the fence and you're still struggling with things and you don't know where you stand with him, hang back, ask questions. We'll be in there for, for prayer if you need prayer, for whatever reason you might need prayer. We're happy and delighted to pray with you. Let us pray now. Father, your word says that out of the depths we cry to you. And so, Father, please hear our voices. Let your ear be attentive to our pleas for mercy this morning. We are reminded as we come to the table that if, if you should mark our iniquities, our failures, we would never be able to stand. But, but with you there is forgiveness because of your son, Jesus. And so let us confess our sins. Let us confess what's bothering us, what has us tripped up, what has us stuck this morning, it, whether that be in our spiritual lives, in our relational lives, what we're doing with our minds, what we're doing with our bodies, what we're doing with our words. The, the, these things matter. And so we, so we ask that you help us get clear and, and, and get those things out in front of us so that we see them for what they are and that we bring them to you and that, oh, that we own them and hand them over and say, please, Lord, change these things in me. We need help. We desperately need your help.
and we need your forgiveness that you offer, and we need hope for change. And we know that you'll give it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.